My name is Christian Ashley, a seminary student and servant of God, and you are listening to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, a proud Anazal Ministries podcast. Welcome back to the Let Nothing Move You podcast. I'm your host, Christian Ashley, normally forever alone. But today, I get to introduce all of you. If you haven't been listening to the Foreign Saints podcast, my good friend, you know, we call him Karai, we call him Kari. I call him friend. Kari, can you introduce yourself to the audience here? Hey, I appreciate the intro, fam. I appreciate the intro. Um, if you'll allow me, um, my it. name hey, my name is Kari Rowe. I'm a respiratory therapist at a Trauma 2 hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina. And my show that I do is called the Foreign Saints Podcast. I call it a pulse check for those of us that want to die daily, a place where we are committed to the spiritual and social vision of King Jesus Christ. That is what we are about on that podcast. And it is an honor to be able to chop up the word with my good brother uh, in the faith, Christian Ashley, bro. It's great to be here. Oh, yeah. I've been debating for some time, like, who do I want to be my first guest? I've got plenty of other people I could have asked. But when I got to this section, it's like, you know, Karai already went over this really well on Foreign Saints. And I mentioned a couple of times before. So, guys, head out that way and see what's going over there. But, like, I, I couldn't do this alone. I needed to have him here. I needed to have his insights. And for people who would never have heard your voice before, what you had to say on it. Hey, I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Um, we have definitely been buddies in podcasting, I think, from the beginning, <laughs> really, for both of us. Um, definitely been just having conversation just off the air, just between the both of us about like direction and how, you know, each other, you know, produce their episodes and where they go about it. Um, <clears throat> been brothers, as Christian has probably mentioned in like earlier episodes or so, just you know, brothers in church, brothers in service, brothers in teaching. Um, and he has definitely been a confidant that I have come to in really dark times in life. I can say that this is a man, a uh, Christian is a man that definitely understands the scriptural mandate to bear the burdens of a brother. And he has been definitely a safe, uh, a safe tower and a refuge to be able to run to uh, in the midst of really high uh, floodwaters in my life recently wouldn't uh wouldn't be here uh at least not at the degree of health that i am if not for the lord uh, just graciously putting christian uh, in my life so i highly highly um just appreciate uh, his prayers his service his podcast it's been an encouragement to me in the morning driving into the hospital before doing crazy stuff that day so i mean like I appreciate it. And of course, I appreciate the ability just to uh, just to platform the Foreign Saints, um, the Foreign Saints podcast. And hopefully some of you guys would be willing to give some of my content a listen. You know, we don't fight each other. Uh, we're just both uh, kingdom workers for the same master. So just just great to be here. You know, if my 10 listeners join your 10 listeners, you know, this can be 20 listeners. It's going to be so good. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it'll be it'll be awesome, man. It'll be awesome. Exponential yeah. growth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know this could easily be a sappy session here, but like, what can I say about my brother here? Like, we've been through a lot, like you said. Uh, we've been through the breaking up of a church. We've been yeah. through some mishandling of stuff done there. Uh, we've been through there through 
I'm feeling down. He's feeling down. Other brothers and sisters around us are feeling down. How do we work together? How do we learn to love people well? What works did I do? What works did he does? Where we kind of compliment one another. It's been nice to have someone like him in my life. So I'm ready to get into this bad boy. You good to go? Hey, let us get into the scripture. You know, I am always ready for the smoke. Um, you know, I got a, just one last plug for the podcast. Christian can tell you because he's heard it. Um, but I'm in the middle of a sermon series through Matthew. Uh, I plan to hopefully finish with Matthew verse by verse by the end of the year. That's just the pace I'm going at. Um, and my most recent episode, um, is actually on the Ohio woman who supposedly was being charged for miscarriage turns out that's not really the case you should go listen to the content but i outline my position on abortion and it is the most controversial thing i have ever said on the podcast ever since beginning it so if you guys are if that interests you uh definitely uh head on over and listen to it so just wanted to put that out there well without any further ado let's do this We're going to be in Genesis 19. We're going to start with verses 1 through 3. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face face, to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend a night in a town square. But he pressed him strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, before we get into this, I probably should say, uh, I don't know how long this episode is going to be. But knowing the (laughs) two of us and how much we like to talk, this could be maybe a normal episode or it could be two to three hours long. You know, I don't have a life. I know Kariah does have a family, though. So we'll see how things go in that regard. But what are your first instincts like uh, these just these three verses alone? Oh, um, just for me, I got my you guys won't be able to see it, but I've got a gigantic legal pad here, uh, just multiple pages of notes. Um, But one of the first things that I noted here um, about verse one about the two angels coming to Sodom, this is the first time in the text that those two men are really confirmed to be angels or spiritual beings in truth. And so I take 19 verse one as confirmation that all of God's complex unity was never represented by all three travelers as the two men here are, you know, they're identified as angels. So, um, you know, father, son, and Holy spirit aren't, I would say they're not in view in the text here, but, so that creates a mystery as to, okay, well, who is this final guy that is identified as the Lord? But that's to, you know, we got a whole chapter to get there. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly some way I have seen some commentators look at this and say that, you know, in chapter 18, when all three of them are meeting with Abraham, you have uh, you have God, the father, you have maybe a pre-incarnate Christ or maybe the Holy Spirit in the physical form. Like, is, is that something that we should like really look on do you, in your opinion? Or is that something to say, hey, this is a possibility. And then maybe this just got into angels. Um, I would, I would say that, you know, like tight exegesis, I think the only consistent view in the text is God and two angels. Um, like I said, for reasons that the rest of chapter 19 will make pretty abundantly clear in my opinion. Yes. Um, 
So, yeah, like, because I had someone ask me that for the podcast about this chapter. And I was like, well, they're identified as angels and stuff later on in the chapter. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, your main argument would be, you know, is the angel of the Lord like a pre-incarnate Christ? And I would say yes, but he's not specifically identified as being here at this point in time. So I'm not going to force that issue on this. I do think this has just gotten to angels, but there's certainly ways to read it other ways. You know, as I've said multiple times here, without Genesis, like fleshing out every concept that it brings up, it's kind of hard to figure everything out. But yeah, yeah, uh, to yeah me, you definitely yeah, do detective work here. Oh, yeah. Just just saying you're definitely doing detective work here. Like like I wouldn't base a teaching on the on a Christophany appearance of, of Christ here based on 19 one. I would base it on uh, some stuff actually towards the end of the 19th chapter, actually. OK, Um. so but yeah, yeah that's, hook. see if anyone right. Likes. You know what yeah. I mean? I got yeah. I got to get your listening retention up. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I mean, besides that, one thing that kind of sticks out to me is where Lot is physically located now in his life. And thirteen, when you know he and Abraham or Abram at the time are like, "Hey, where do you want to go?" Well, he sees this lush valley over here. Uh, is it a valley? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, a lush region here, mm-hmm. which is like the perfect opportunity as far as farming, but not so much the people. Not not to say that Canaan was full of really good people right now, but comparatively speaking, this is not where you want to go for your morality. Right, right. So he takes that one and he starts off outside the city, living in his own tent like Abraham does. Like um, I think for the most part in Genesis, Abraham doesn't live inside of any city that I see. Uh, he typically stays away, but in contrast, Lot does start off like Abraham does. Then in 14, he is actually living in the city when he's taken away by the five, the other kings of Mesopotamia alongside Sodom and the other five cities. And now he's got a house and he's also living physically there enough to where he's at the gate. Like what, what's going on with him that he's there? Like, has he just been afflicted that much by the people there or what's, what's going on in his head? Man, this is, um, yeah, I don't know how many people are going to like read it the way that I'm about to kind of break it down here. But, um, I would say that the hospitality of Lot, right. That he shows to the two men, considering what will happen later, (laughs) When you consider what's going to happen later, um, I think this hospitality seems to be more about getting the two men out of the town square by any means necessary. That, I think, seems to be what is really going on in Lot's head. Like, I'm not really about hospitality the way that you really excellently pointed out with Abraham uh, in the previous chapter. I think he's more about, I just don't want you in the town square because it is this town is not safe after dark. And y'all don't know where y'all are at. Yeah. I think that's a great point to make. It seems like he's there purposefully. Like he has things he could be doing right now. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it's closer to evening. Yeah, yeah, it is evening. And he knows, given where he's lived around, oh, travelers don't fare too well here. So if I can save who I can, that seems to me to be his motivation without that being like explicitly stated, that's why he is there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the angels almost pressed the point like, no, we're going to stay in the town square, Um, which I feel like was their plan. I think that was actually God's like test to the city. Let's put two handsome men in the town square and see what they do. Um, 
I think that was the idea as far as testing the character of the city, but what, you know, convinces them to come, uh, you know, to come with him. Um, Cause his house isn't in the town square cause they leave the town square to go to his house. So mm-hmm. he's not at his house when he's at the city gates or at the particular gates that he was at. Yeah. Um, so the next point I'm going to make here is actually uh, an amendment and a correction on stuff I said earlier. I've been, uh, as people have been listening, very harsh on Lot this entire <laughs> a time. We've seen his story in scripture. But something has actually changed my point of view when I was doing my research on this, and I had completely forgotten about it. Because guess what? No matter how many times you can read this whole book, you're not going to remember everything. And you're going to point your own opinions on it and ruin the story. So I did that and I fully admit it. So what am I talking about? Well, that's with Lot's character. As far as scripture is concerned, Lot is righteous. And I have said the exact opposite. And God was only doing it because he's related to Abraham. But if you guys will go to your Bibles in 2 Peter 2, verses 4 through 9, we're going to see, this is from the NIV. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and uh, spoilers, by the way, and made them an example (laughs) of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Correct. And so just in kind La- of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just ahead, like Terry on top of that point, um, Lot's name is mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews as well as one of those with a positional righteousness before God in Christ. So multiple New Testament attestations to the fact that Lot, you're going to see him in the kingdom. It sounds like it. And like, so in light of all that, like, hey, I made a judgment call and the wrong one. I was too willing to look at Lot's sinful actions that are going to be happening later in this chapter and from before. And I forgot that righteous men are capable of sin. No matter how many times I've said that before on this show, hey, I can be blind too. And one of the great things I think you'll agree with me this on Cry is that studying scripture, one of the great things about it is that we get to see the truth. And if the truth destroys our perception of how things look versus what they actually are. And a great part of you know learning uh, and growing in wisdom is realizing when you were wrong, admitting it, and fighting as best as possible to prevent it from happening again. And I'm glad that I got to share that mini character arc with all of you. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. You know, it's a character arc I hope that we all go through in some way, shape or form every time we open the text. Like I can Christian knows just from watching me, I can chop up the text with anybody. But as I'll say to, you know, to my wife all the time, like, dude, like I've read this story a million times, read this story a million times. How did I not see this? And it was just that's that's how the word is, man. That's how it is. Yeah. And not to like humble brag or anything like I've read this book over a dozen times uh, front to back. And I still learn things. 
and I'm only in my 30s. And there are people who continue to do that. I will continue to do that as life goes on. So one of the great things about our relationship with God is that he gives us stuff over time that maybe if I was smarter or more wise, I would have figured out earlier, but he didn't want me to get it then. Or maybe it's just later on, I need to understand that. Mm-hmm. And we should be very mm-hmm. gracious that he decides to give us any wisdom at all. Yeah, we grow up to a full maturity. You know what I mean? Like, like my son Omari watches me do all sorts of stuff around the house every day and 99% of it he doesn't understand. He understands yeah. food and milk and play. And that's, you know, outside of that, you know, he doesn't know. But that's okay. Like, you don't need to know. As you grow, you know, I'll, I'll teach him, you know. Think of, um, I think of Jesus's words to the disciples towards the end of things in John when he said, um, there's much that I would want to tell you, but you cannot bear it now, right? Yeah. Which is why I'm going to send the helper, right? The paraclete, the Holy Spirit to lead you into all the truth after I'm gone, you know, and the Holy Spirit still fulfills that, uh, you know, that promise of Christ to followers today that though he's not here, the Holy Spirit gives us of Christ as we grow in maturity and ability to bear the things of Christ at a deeper and deeper level. Well said. All right. Is there anything else you want to add for these three verses before we move on? Um, no, 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 not for not for these three verses. No. Okay. Then from there, we'll be going to verses four through 14. And if you ever want to take any of these, you let me know. Oh, oh okay. Well, I, I appreciate uh, the offer. I, got, I can, not, I guess I can read four through 14, I suppose. Yeah. Not to give you five seconds of warning, but you know. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's, that's fine. No, I, I can read these next 10. Um, Go for starting it. In, starting in verse four. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people (laughs) to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. All right. We can't face it, you know, ignore it anymore. The one thing every, almost every evangelical pastor will say, uh, uh, some good ones won't, mm-hmm. is that 
this is where we get to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> the sin, the one that defines them, the way you have the word sodomy, that originates from this incident. That's the yeah. only thing people have learned from this. That, that's the one thing they're doing wrong. Now, Karai, are they doing something wrong here? Oh, most definitely, dear scholar. Most definitely. Are, are they doing something wrong? They're doing a lot of somethings wrong, actually. Um, that's a yes. beautiful segue um, to bring in Prophet Ezekiel's commentary Ooh, on you got it. Sodom I was gonna and do it Gomorrah. Too. Go for it. <laughs> uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Not reading the whole verse here, but just summarizing the list of sins that Ezekiel said uh, Sodom was guilty of. Pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, not helping the poor among them, and what I would call a depraved indifference to their fellow man. Um, and Ezekiel says this in the context of telling Israel, hey, you guys are like them, but worse and more. So if you really want to know what Sodom was like in detail, just read uh, Kings and Chronicles and the Prophets. And how Israel was is how Sodom was. Ezekiel 16 is not a chapter you read when you're feeling down. Facts. Oh, you need some uplifting information. No, that is one that is God's judgment being poured out on someone, calling them worse mm -hmm. than Sodom. Like, I, I'll go ahead. You read 49, right? Uh, yeah, that was what I was referencing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll add 44 through 50 just to give a little more context to this. Go for it. Uh, this is from the NASB. Behold, everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb about you saying, like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother who loathed her husband and children. You are also the sister of your sisters who loathed their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father was an Amorite. Got now him. your older sister, Samaria, mm, who lives <laughs> north of you with her daughters and your younger sister who lives south of you is Sodom with her daughters. Yet you have not merely walked in their ways and committed their abominations, but Sheesh. as if that were too little, you Sheesh. also acted more corruptly in all your conduct than they. As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. And we'll skip over to 50. So they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so about that gay thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Seems uh, like that wasn't the entirety of the picture there. Yeah. <laughs> so what people do here, and I understand why you look at this, you see a symptom and you assume it's the cause. Mm hmm. The, the the blatant disregard for these men's lives and for the lives of Lot's daughters and his sons-in-law, which, by the way, I thought it was son-in-laws and a Google, excuse me, word had to correct that for me multiple times over. So I get to learn something new today. That's fun. Um, hey, that's why we're here. It's just, just showing the, the blatant disregard for these people just to fulfill one's own desires and that they chose to do this as this one particular sin through homosexuality. But no one talks about the fact they're also willing to rape the women. Right. You know, they're also willing to rape the sons-in-law. Now, what they're going to do to Lot for being so judgy. Oh, uh, like, yeah. No, they're, they, got a, they got a crucifix ready for that guy. They about to invent crucifixion like a couple millennia early just for this guy. Yeah. 
If anyone wondering, like, hey, is this like a translation thing? To like, did people have like an agenda so they made it against homosexuality or something like that? Like, going to the original Hebrew, God help me. We see that when it's translated into ESV as we may know them, sometimes you may see it translated as, you know, we may know them carnally or have relations or something like that. Um, the root word to all this is yada, which means to know, and it has multiple meanings. It can mean to know as in understand something, have a realization, or to engage in sexual relations. The word used here to describe their actions is wanadea or Venadea, however the heck you pronounce it, sorry. Uh, in Judges 19, a different verb is used in the same sense, and I'm not going to bother butching that one as I already did. But for those of you who know the story of the Levite and the concubine, the kind of the same premise is brought up there. Mm-hmm. So like many Hebrew words, uh, Yada, Venadea, are multifaceted. Uh, because, but And they rely on context to figure out what's happening here. So... Uh, judging by the actions of the crowd we see in this book, Cry, would you say, do we really believe that they want to know them intellectually or to realize yeah, yeah. the fascinating minds of the people traveling in their midst? I don't doubt it. Doubt that. Yeah. Yeah, no. I don't think uh, so. I don't almost. think this is – I would agree this is not a public forum to say, hey, like uh, everyone, when they come into Sodom, you got to come and you tell us your personal philosophies. This isn't Athens. Like – no, this is a very reprehensible, horrible action is going to be done to these men, as I assume it would be done to anyone else who enter town, male or female. Mm-hmm. And the simple fact of the matter is they wanted, and I probably should have said this earlier, for those of you who have been more squeamish, there, there's a lot of really bad stuff brought up in chapter 19 uh, when it comes to sexual assault, when it comes to incest and stuff like that. So if this is something you're a little squeamish about, I do apologize. I should have said something earlier, but like, Hey, maybe skip over certain parts of this if you start feeling a little unwell. I want to look after you, but this is also scripture, so I can't avoid it. Yeah, like it's it's just going to keep yeah. spiraling downward from here to the end of the chapter to keep it a buck. It just gets I worse. Mean, yeah. The, the simple fact of the matter is that the men of the town, they wanted to rape the two angels, not caring about who they were or their value as humans. And they further prove their sexual degeneracy and their pride by asking for Lot's daughters when they don't initially get what they want, and they'll even settle for the sons-in-law. Like, both of these actions are evil. Both of these actions are against the rules God has in place for sex and marriage. Both are enough to condemn them in God's eyes, but that's not the primary reason why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And we've already gone through Ezekiel. Like... There it is. And you weren't taking care of people. Go for it. Right. If I can point out just a, another rhythm that's showing itself here again is the constant uh, drumbeat in Genesis of people doing the same thing that Eve did in the garden, which is seeing something, desiring it as good for themselves, and then reaching out and taking it, though it be forbidden to them. It started with Eve, it continued with. Uh, in Genesis 6 with the Nephilim seeing the daughters of the sons of men they saw, they desired, so they reached out and took. And again, we see with Lot in their argument with Abraham, right? He sees the land, so he reaches out and takes, right? And then again here with the men of the city, they see the two men, so they're reaching out 
through violent means to take by force. And so we kind of see this drumbeat in Genesis of every single time you reach beyond the boundaries of what God has said is good and evil. Every subsequent time you're going to do that with more and more, uh, I guess you could say, rebellious, um, you know, rebellious uh, enthusiasm, you might say. Uh, you're just going to get worse and worse each time <clears throat> you rewrite God's definition of good for yourself. Yeah. And earlier, let's recall in Genesis 18, Abraham bargained down multiple times for two cities who have thousands upon thousands of people in them. When the original number was 50, he got it down to 10. And there aren't 10. Nope. There, I, I have since learned that I'm wrong. And there's at least one. <laughs> Lots of daughters. Yeah. Um, we'll make your own judgment stare is what I'll say. Right. But right. there's there's one. So that tells me, like, building off of something I also said last time, we should take no pleasure when evil men get what's coming to them. We should enjoy the fact justice is brought, but also remember the cost of that. Mm -hmm. And, like, they have no one to blame but themselves. There is enough in us, you know, as Paul tells us in Romans, to know when certain things are right and when certain things are wrong. The choice, the fact of the matter is how much do we delude ourselves into thinking it's okay for me to do what I want. Right. And they've chosen to do what they want. All right. Their story doesn't have where to be like this. To. Yeah. You know, like as I pointed out in, you know, in my episode on how God loved Sodom and Gomorrah, I went so far as to call them the sequel to Eden based on how they were first described a couple chapters ago as such a lush Garden Valley area that hadn't been seen since Eden. So like you can't argue that God didn't show you know, favor to them through just, just natural law. You know what I mean? Like you were a bustling trade hub. You had all the natural realm advantages for an agrarian society. And just like Adam and Eve before you, you got cast out of your garden via fire, you know, because you reached out yeah. and took what you shouldn't have taken. Well, let's, let's go into that. I mean, this region is... Wealthy enough, not only in land and people, but actual wealth too, that kings from Mesopotamia went all the way around the Fertile Crescent yep, just to attack them. You know how long <laughs> Mesopotamia is? Uh, even giving an <laughs> undefined term as Mesopotamia versus like, you know, Ur or something like that. Right. That's thousands of miles Yeah, to attack them. Because it was worth That tells trip. me there's something worth fighting for. Yep. Yep. People know, people and, know when you're blessed by God, people know, especially like physically. Yeah. And how do we use that gift though? <laughs> Becomes mm -hmm. the issue. And well, they chose to be, draw inward. They chose to focus on themselves, to not care about the people within their own cities and the traveler that came their way. And like I said earlier on last episode, like, hey, hospitality is a huge thing. If you're not worthy of being trusted, I'm not going to do business with you because your people have proven, oh, well, if I send messengers that way, they're probably not going to survive the night. Right. Right. Like your reputation meant everything. I mean, it means everything today at certain points in time in our own lives. But um, if you're known as the city where evil things like this happen, why would people want to go there? Mm hmm. 
Why is it uh, lot really? It seems he only finds two travelers. Maybe everyone else was smart enough to stay away. <laughs> you know. <laughs> hey, that's what I, that's what I would hope. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. kind of that's kind of the the injustice of it all, though. Like a trades a trade hub like that, not everyone's going to have the luxury to be able to stay away. Some people are just yeah. out of necessity of life going to have to brave that uh that snake pit and. Not all of y'all are coming out, you know, like we're talking about a time when you don't have internet, you don't have find my iPhone, you don't have Fitbits to track, there's no cops you can call. So, I mean, if you get jumped by like 20 dudes in a town square, you know, like, that's it. Like, it's you, know, you, you chose wrong in Telltale and there's no reloading. Like, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. I mean, that's where they're at. Like, there's no, there's no trip advisor. There's no Yelp. There's no just says, "Hey, uh, what happened to me in Sodom? Uh, don't go there." Like you, you've got to trust that wherever you're going, people are going to take care of you. And you know, human beings are human beings. So sacred hospitality was broken all the time, but those <laughs> right. are supposed to be the isolated incidents versus right. an entire city being known for not treating foreigners and travelers in their midst well. Right. There's a difference between not being as hospitable as you ought to be and actively turning uh, people in weak situations into prey like that. Yes. That right there is how you make that's a surefire tactic. If you want Jehovah God to be your enemy, start making the vulnerable prey. So when we look at the totality of history and scripture, we see land of Canaan, not exactly on God's nice list for Christmas, you know, and. <laughs> So, so why Sodom and Gomorrah versus the rest of them when we see in Joshua and Judges, they're also supposed to be wiped out? Like, why them instead? Why not handle Hazor or Gath or what have you? Well, I think just, I mean, it sounded like you pitched that somewhat uh, hypothetically, but I'll kind of take it. Um, I think one of the beginning verses in this 10 section chunk kind of, is the beginning of our answer, right? Before they lay down, young and old, to the last man, right? One of the things that I thought I was, I didn't think that the story said it that explicitly. And so I was actually corrected on my incorrect view of Sodom. When I came back to this, I was like, oh, okay. All right. So the author is going out of his way to tell you, no, every man. Every male, young and old, to the last man, everybody. Now, as we pointed out, the angels got to the city in humanoid form in the evening, right? They're met by Lot. They're brought back to his house. He bakes a loaf of unleavened bread. They eat, and the house has not yet gone to bed by the time every single male in the area knows where to go. All right. This, to me, suggests a deep cultural system of predation upon the weak and travelers. Right. It'd be one thing if it was yes. just the people around the city gate because they saw. Right. But that's not what it says. Everybody. Right. Even people on the other side of the town that couldn't physically see what was happening. Yeah. Which means that they had to tell. Right. The people that saw this had to tell a bunch of other people that told a bunch of other people like like these people were more uh, these people were zealous enough that they managed to get the word of angels to the city before the bread is out the oven. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I want these pe- I want these people on my uh, on my evangelism team. Just keep it a buck. Like, <laughs> I, I would hope that they get saved and discipled. But I'm like, there is a zeal here yes. towards preying upon travelers. And I want I I have to wonder if all of the other surrounding cities, though they had their sin, were to this level of depravity where you could literally say, not everybody, not a colloquial all. This is an actual all, which is nuts. If you know how big, like even just the dig sites for Sodom are, like that's that's a lot of that's a lot of people. Um, I mean, aside from the fact that God has mercy on who he wants, it definitely seems like these guys have reached a certain level of depravity um, where like, okay, God, because I'm just, I got to step in because this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Well said. I mean, you get to that point where it is institutionalized in the system, essentially at this point in time, this is who we are. This is what we're about. Right. Um, that tells me not that there's no hope and, you know, find maybe finding someone who could have gotten out, but a lot doesn't seem not only evangelization was really a thing back in the day, but he right. could have had someone he talked to there. Surely there was someone who would have been open to the idea. His sons-in-law obviously aren't. They laugh in his face. Like there doesn't seem like the elected officials care. The King cares. Like, well, I mean, maybe, at this maybe, point, well, I mean, at this point in the story, right? Like, I know I have I wasn't around for those episodes with you, but I mean, what we know is that like they've already seen God work through Abraham to pretty yes. miraculously save the nation. And Abraham just straight up tells them it wasn't me. It was God. And Melchizedek shows up, priest king of a neighboring city state saying, hey, I got bread and wine. Do you want to meet God? And the leaders of the city say no. So it's like, okay, God's given judgment of war. God's given miraculous rescue. God's offered uh, grace literally through two of his representatives on the earth at this time to come to my table and let's work. And they have rejected all of it. And this final test, what will you do with two random travelers is really egregious. Okay. All right. Like you've. You've decided your story didn't have to be this, but you've decided this is a story that you want to write. And look where you ended up. Yeah. Not well. It's it sad. <laughs> sad. It's what it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just reprehensible. And also notice their reaction. They're blinded. Mm-hmm. They're, they're groping around trying to find the way to the door. Man, I'm glad. And you what is their up. exit strategy here? Oh, no, there is no exit strategy. It's okay. Well, maybe not them. But hey, just give us your daughters or your sons-in-law or oh, anyone yeah. you have in the city. Like, what? what is your focus on sin to the point that you are literally blinded, you cannot see, you cannot re- realize where you're at in the world right now, and you're still seeking after it? How bad does that reflect on me when I do the exact same thing? Not, not the exact same thing, but like, mm-hmm. you know, f- following after my sin so much that I know I'm wrong. I know I seek it. I know I shouldn't be doing it. And I do it anyway, knowing there's going to be repercussions. Well, I mean, <laughs> right. Like, like these guys didn't just see a miracle. They were the miracle. And yeah. they like that didn't stop. You know what I mean? Like they're sitting here, just got blinded and their thought process isn't, whoa, I just got blinded. Their thought process. Okay. I'm down vision. 
but I remember where the door was at. So if I keep moving in that direction, then, and I'm like, I think you're focusing on the wrong thing here. Your, your determination is, is really, really dark uh, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, and they dismiss Lot in verse nine as a judgmental outsider, Ooh. as if that makes it okay for them to make two men their prey, which I think displays the level of pride that they have on display that I'm the one that sits in the seat of judgment of right and wrong. You're wrong lot, right? You're actually wrong to judge us. And I'm like, wow, what culture does that sound like today? I could never guess, you know, like you're just a, you're just a judgmental outsider. You don't belong here as someone that's done a, his share of, of, uh, of street ministry at, uh, gay pride events in Charlotte. This is one of the top things that people that are antagonistic towards you will say in some way, shape or form. What are you even doing here? This isn't for you. You're just, you're just so judgmental. And I'm like, wow, Sodom on repeat, or at least the justification of Sodom on repeat. A good physician doesn't go to the healthy. You know? A good physician goes after those who are sick, you know, and die. That's, hey, that's, that's what I try to do. That is definitely what I try to do. But man, yeah, I I just had a conversation with a family member uh, not too long ago about uh, whether moral relativism was a thing and (laughs) they were not happy. I will not name names. And I only got called uh, an F&A hole about four times in that conversation for, you know, pointing out that if it's okay for you to do what you want, then we can invoke Godwin's law and say the Nazis went wrong. Mm-hmm. We can say it's not wrong to vote for this person or to like this person. You know, it's, right. you know, it's not wrong for sexual trafficking to exist or anything like that. But apparently right. you're just judgmental if you don't agree that everything is OK, except for those things that I say aren't OK. Right. Like, who are you to say that the dividing line between righteousness and sin is right down the middle of, of your body? Like. Who who are you to say that that your that your life is the dividing line between good and and bad? Like yeah, that, that's convenient. That's really convenient that the line is just behind you. Interesting. It's so great when the protagonist is able to say what morality is. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's just, you know, it's crazy. Like, and because this was a society without Twitter. So like you can't say that. Like, like you can't say that it's just social media that like creates this sort of idea. This is people like this is sinful men, sinful men that are determined to sin. will just call you judgmental when you want to um, remind people, hey, you can't actually uh, dehumanize people like that. Um, or like I said in my most previous episode or, hey, you know, mothers shouldn't actually murder their babies. Like that's that's not right. Well, who are you to say that? You judgmental outsider. You don't know me. You don't. Oh, okay. All right. Like, like if that's just the Will argument. you let me? Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's wild. Um, no, but, but Karai, don't you know that you shouldn't be worried about the log in your, in, in, <laughs> your moat in your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own? Look now. All right. I am a couple weeks away because we are starting in the Sermon on the Mount on the Foreign Saints podcast this weekend. All right. So I am a few weeks out from tearing that one to shreds. All right. I'll let you do that there. Let me a little sneak peek. 
Right. I, I will save the smoke uh, for then, but it will be smoky for sure. Um, something that I noticed in verse 13 is that the language mirrors Genesis 4 of verse 10, where he talks about like the outcry reaching uh, reaching the Lord. And in 4.10 with um, Cain murdering Abel, um, God oh, says, dude, like the, yeah. the blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground, you know? So like, again, you've got, you've got this parallel and it's like, okay, so that to me suggests it's suggestive. It's not, you know, coming out right and saying it, but it's suggestive to me that this is a pretty murderous place too, that there's a certain outcry that's reached God that is greater here than in other areas of the earth. There's more blood crying out from the ground of Sodom than from the ground of surrounding cities that don't get sulfur bombed. Um, you know, so it's like, again, just like, I think there's something to the way that language is used in Genesis that's supposed to get you to, that's supposed to be able to convey a lot. So that way the author doesn't have to write a lot. You know, it's like, okay, like using similar language construction should make you think of earlier stuff. So that way, you know, that that earlier stuff is happening in this particular uh, situation. No, that's great. That's a great tie in. I hadn't really thought about that before. You know, Cain killing Abel, Abel, you know, his blood calling out to God from the ground. And we've got that here. It's like, surely, you know, whenever these people are meeting God before the judgment throne or even in Sheol or whatever the heck is happening metaphysically at this point in time in history, mm -hmm. he is aware. Not only was he aware before, but they're actively speaking to him. This is happening. How can you allow these atrocities to happen? Yeah, in this I mean, place you know the psalmists say that god is the one that like like god rises up to defend the poor and the widowed and, and the oppressed and you know isaiah 9 you know i know we're not that close to christmas anymore but just coming out of that season right like isaiah 9 um those first 10 or 12 verses or so right in his name all oppression shall cease like that's that's a cute little hallmark card but that's i mean that's that's scary if you're the source of oppression yes Right. Like that, that should be concerning where that comes from. Right. You know what I mean? Like he's going to put an end to it. Um, you know, and so and so we see that here, which I think is always just an interesting conversational point with atheists, not to get too evangelistic on this podcast, but or apologetic. Yeah, but it's just it's just interesting that like, you know, God doesn't do anything about evil in the world. So I can't believe in him. Okay. Well, what about Sodom where he literally stopped a gang rape? Unless God being judgmental. I don't like the fact that he did. Okay. So, so you're mad that God doesn't stop evil because he's generous, but then the few instances in the Bible where he does stop evil hardcore, you have problems with all of it. So what's a God to do to impress you? It, what is, what is destroying evil? If not making a judgment call, that right. this is evil and it needs to be stopped. Right. You know, like, like I said, in like I said, in my podcast episode of the day, like, like the reason God focuses on establishing justice more so than saving lives is because you save lives by establishing justice. Like that's how you do that. What, how do you operationally, how do you practically do that by establishing justice? When you let justice fall away in the streets and be turned away backwards, you have lives being taken that shouldn't be taken. You have things happening that should never happen. So instead of focusing on saving lives per se, focus on, okay, where's the justice? 
whose job is it to be establishing justice in a society for punitively and culturally from a teaching level? Who's doing that in Sodom? I'm telling you, nobody, which is how we end up here. Oh, yes. And going into the last verse we covered here, you know, we're not even halfway through this, and I'm having a ton of fun. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, this is why I knew, I knew, I said, there's no way this is going to be 30 minutes or less. We're going to keep going. <laughs> uh, look at his son-in-law, sons-in-law here. Like he as a father is, has approved of their union, probably knowing they've been involved in this before. Mm-hmm. Probably knowing that they're not going to, uh, you know, desire his daughter and the, the daughters in the way they should. Is this just lot compromising too much? Is it him not, you know, this form of evangelism to everyone like that his own sons-in-law don't believe what he has to say, has he even spoken about God to them and what he's done? Like, oh, man, how do you handle <laughs> that? <laughs> oh, man, this uh, the legal pad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. we ready for it. We're ready for it on this one. OK, OK. Um, Go for it. Starting with Lot offering his two daughters to the situation here. Um, Lot, I'm just going to read what I wrote here. Lot tries to do righteously in a compromising fashion. To save two lives, I'll give up two lives is the philosophy Uh that Lot has here. And the reason that doesn't work is because you still end up with two lives lost. You haven't changed the net equation. You've just changed whose lives are being lost, right? Which is a shame because you don't have to do that. God is already in the camp lot, right? The angels have the power to defend themselves easily, obviously, but you don't know they're there, right? So because you don't really trust that God is already gone before you to protect you, you don't have the requisite spine that a man needs to have to stand for truth and justice in a culture that wants you dead. Right. Like if you don't believe that God's actually got your back in this fight, you're going to make compromises. You're going to trade lives like that's just what like when God is not in the picture, all that you have left is pragmatism. That's it. And so that's where we see lot at here. Right. He doesn't want to bend to the evil, but he recognizes I don't have the strength to withstand a crowd that's surrounding the home. So I have to be diplomatic with evil. And God says, no, I've put a certain power in your camp to where you don't have to be diplomatic with evil. You don't have to be. That's part of the benefit of the gospel is the Holy Spirit within us so that we don't have to be diplomatic with evil in the culture or in ourselves. We can say, I've got a certain self-control, right? A spirit of a sound mind and self-control. So we're No, we're not trading lives. I don't know how we're getting out of this, says Lot. But daughters, you are made in the image of God. I am not sacrificing you to the sin of the culture. We are going to find a way. And had Lot said that, he would have realized that his two guests were angels and then his faith would have been rewarded. And all of a sudden, this story reads very much more triumphantly than it does uh, than it does right now. So I said he's got one foot in his duty and one foot in his fear. And so, you know, his, his uh, what he's standing on is not exactly stable. And as far as verse 14 goes with the sons-in-law, <clears throat> the other thing I wrote here, um, the lack of urgency from the men, from the sons-in-law, 
even to their own betrothed, almost being offered to be gang raped, their lack of urgency, even to a mob of lustful men surrounding your house at night, is proof of two things. One, a depraved level of indifference to sin in society, and two, the suffering of image bearers. Mm. And all of this tells us that they're used to this nonsense. Because Lot acting appropriately, right? Because just to, I ran this question by my wife and I asked her, if this situation happened in Mount Holly tonight, right? <clears throat> would you need a prophet of God for you to feel an urgency to move? Like, mm. you really, sh- you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. Lot saying God's going to destroy the city. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I don't really care what God was going to do. This is the last straw. We were moving. Even if God wasn't destroying the city lot, this is crazy. We're getting out of here. But the sons-in-law are perfectly okay with a crowd of people surrounding their home, almost raping their soon-to-be wives. They're used to this, right? Like, even if Lot was telling them about God, it's just the fact that they don't see their culture as that bad, which is really the issue, right? Like you either agree with God and say, oh, wow, if God's treating this sin really horribly, this sin must be really bad. Or you disagree with God and say, wow, if God is treating this sin really horribly, God must be horrible because this sin really isn't that bad. And it seems to me that that's just the camp that the sons-in-law fall into, because, again, even if you think Lot is a raving lunatic, you should at least be able to find one point of agreement. But he's right about we do need to leave. I don't know about all this God stuff, but he's right that we ought to leave. The fact that they don't even find that as a common point of agreement is like actually insane. Yes. So what is Lot supposed to do before this situation even happens? Like he has learned over time by living in a city, this happens to travelers. Does he remove himself from the world? Does he become a hermit? That little strange farmer who judges us on the hill? How can he not (laughs) engage the culture? Like, I mean... Like uh, he doesn't know about Jesus and the eternity and uh, all that, but let's Correct. say this were now this exists. How, how should a Christian, how should we handle this? If we're in that scenario, like how can one be a light in that situation? Should we remove ourselves? Well, I mean, you know, Ephesians, I think four or five, one of those two chapters says, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't throw in with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Like that's really what lot should have been doing. I mean, I know I joked about there not being any like police like we have today, and that's true, but you've got to have some level of justice or something going on in the situation because people are people. Um, So I don't know what he would have had to appeal to, but there had to be something to appeal to. And if there is nothing to appeal to, then you become that something. And we see that in the history of Christians fighting injustice, you know, with abortion today, with um, the chattel slavery of the colonial Americas, there was no system of law that you could appeal to in their day to get these people that are engaging in human trafficking to face justice and stand trial, right? So what do they do instead? Instead, well, I'm going to be that crazy street preacher, bro. I'm going to put on the shame of Christ and continue to tell my culture that they're wrong until I gain a big enough following to start enacting justice. But, I mean, you got to start. You got to start. If you're the only person that knows light, obviously you can't run to the cops. But 
like I said, you can be that crazy dude that stands on a street corner and says, you know, our weekly gang rapes or whatever are actually sinful. Especially if you believe that God has stationed you in that fight. If that's the case, then you don't climb down off that wall until you are properly relieved, soldier. Yeah. This is one of those things that's a lot easier to say in America for the most part. You know, comparatively speaking, I'm not worried about, you know, the Chinese government trying to lock me down and throw away the key. I'm not worried about being the only Christian in Somalia in a 10 mile radius while everyone else is engaged in piracy or is an aggressive, more aggressive form of Islam than what we experience Mm -hmm. here in the States. Like, how am I supposed to tell that person, hey, man, you just be a light. You get things done. It's easy for me to say that. It's also true. Well, I'm not. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying that Lot should have stayed. I think that his I think that the option to like if I'm Lot, I'm leaving. Because I don't have a mandate yeah. to evangelize these people, right? Um, and heck, even Jesus says, if you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I'm just saying, if you're of the persuasion that I don't want to leave, like if you're not going to consider that as an option, then staying yeah. in the culture and not shining light just isn't an option on the table. It's either you're going to go shine yeah. light elsewhere or you're going to shine light here. But you're not going to stay somewhere and keep your light hidden under a basket. That is not an option in the Christian paradigm to me. It doesn't seem like it's ever been an option. I mean, even Abraham risked life and limb to save not just Lot, but apparently the kingdom of Sodom. So, like, just doesn't seem like that was ever an option. If I'm going to be in the area, I'm going to be a light or else I'm going to take my light elsewhere. But I'm not going to live somewhere and keep my light under a basket that is the option yeah. that i think we cannot capitulate to because that's the option that we agree yeah because that's the option yeah. that we want in our flesh in our fear well let's look at lot's uncle abraham what does he do in a land of people who are you know sacrificing their children to their gods that don't exist or living in these terrible sins around them like He's still living as best as possible when peace among them to the point that they like him, you know, when he's not going to Egypt and you know, pretending <laughs> his half sister is really his sister and right, all right. this mess. But like for the most part, he's doing his best to keep peace and to be a servant of God in a near impossible situation. A lot on the other and hand, Abraham, has found the, right, right. Go ahead. I was going to say Abraham's impossible situation. Right. Like Abraham's even been kind of evangelistic, right? He leaves Ur of the Chaldees with just himself and his wife. But by the time we get to Lot's kidnapping, he's got as many as 300 able-bodied men to go fight. Well, where'd they come from? Right. Like, like they had to get picked up in Abraham's travels. And how does that happen if there's not an exchange of ideas and religions? And okay, well, what do you worship? Well, I worship a God that is not made with hands. Oh, well, that's a pretty wild idea. Um, well, what, you know, what, what do you sacrifice to this God? I don't really sacrifice that much. He's just called me to leave everything onto the land. Well, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. there was event, there was evangelism of a type with Abraham. You know what I mean? Yes. Not like his life was focused on that, but he was definitely engaged in that. Um, and there is a certain truth to the idea of separateness from the culture. I wouldn't say you got to leave the world, but you, you can't be of it. And that's really the thing. Like 
like Abraham was still close enough that he could rush into the land and help out militarily in case of a scrape. But he's like, I'm not going to mix it up every day with you guys because you guys don't want to follow the God that's called me. So there's a practical limit to how much we can actually mix things up on a day-to-day basis. You know what I mean? Like surface level conversation about video games and anime only takes me so far. Like at some point we got to talk about what matters in life. And if you don't vibe with what matters in my life, then that's going to lead to us making decisions that naturally pull us apart. I'm not separating myself from you. It's just light and dark don't mix given enough time. I think for Abraham specifically, he kind of found the sweet spot. He, he did. didn't live off as a hermit somewhere like where like I'm not going to associate with you people at all. I may send envoys, maybe. But no, <laughs> like he lived away from everyone else right. worshiping God, but he still interacted with the people around them and didn't shy away from them, didn't pretend that he worshiped a different God in their presence. As far as we see in scripture, like he, he spoke boldly and people listened or they didn't. Well, he lived and like if a he man, wasn't in a good spot, he'd leave. He lived like a man who believed that he was actually going to be made into a nation. Mm. And that's really just what it is. Right. He's like, no, I'm not going to live as part of your nation because God's promised me I will be a nation. So let's live like a nation. Right. And so that entails a certain level of separateness. You know, like I'm walking through land that other people own that is my land or will be in time. Right. So, again, I think of, um, you know, I think of the exhortations in the epistles of, you know, live worthy of your call. And, you know what I mean? Like like Jesus is coming or Colossians uh, yeah. three, one, I believe, um, you know, have your mind be set on heavenly things, not earthly things. Right. So, I mean, like that idea of live in your present reality as if your future has already manifested as if your kingdom reality future is already manifested. That's part of what it means to be a new human. And Abraham is just a shadow of, you know, us Christians who are supposed to be the living fulfillment of, of that ideal and that ideal. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, all, I mean, all that's cute, but I mean, when you live out like that in the world, people are going to call you a weirdo and a Bible thumper. And, you know, I mean, only, only four FUs Christian. That's, it's kind of a nice only conversation. Four. Like, you know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> like you know i mean that's just that's just what you're what you're gonna get like don't don't expect lost people that can't see light to treat you as bright don't don't oh, yeah. expect that you know well is there anything we have in mind out of these verses uh out of this section i don't believe so yeah okay. i don't believe so <clears throat> but i'll go ahead and i'll take us through 15 through 22 Go for it, bro. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. 
Behold, the city is this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zoar, which means little. It's <laughs> a great way to be named. What jumps out to you? <laughs> um, uh, as far as verses 15 to the 16 goes, um, not, I mean, technically not much for this whole little bit, but, um, verse 15 strikes me because it's like a whole night passed with no action. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, and I figure that it, there probably wasn't any action because again, these cats are lukewarm anyway, but, and they're probably feeling relatively safe as all the men of the city were blinded at the start of the night. But then yes. I argue, well, that should make fleeing easier because no one can see you. You just yes. walk out. You don't even really have to run. I mean, you should, but you don't have to run from them. You know, you're just stumbling over the walking dead out there. <laughs> there's, there's nothing in the text that indicates to me they ever got their sight back, which is like kind of humorous to me. Um, yes. I think it's interesting that the Lord's mercy to Lot was shown by the angels literally grabbing him bodily and yanking him up out of there, which I think uh, I don't think I'm the only one that can agree that salvation is like that sometimes um, mm-hmm. <laughs> where God just has to grab you and yank you up out of something uh, for you to really be up and out of it. Um, <clears throat> but verses uh, 17 to 22 you get the feeling that Lot's very, uh, he's underestimating the gravity of the situation. Um, yes. And we should definitely take that to heart. The repentance is deadly serious. You know what I mean? Like this ain't, this ain't some country club that we do. You know, I would not like, I'm, I'm a man, you know, like we've got things I could be doing other than, you know, being the social pariah other than always being the awkward one in every conversation at work. That's like, you know, actually the word of God says this, I would not be living the way that I'm living if this was not deadly serious. And I would hope that that's the same for, you know, all of, you know, anyone listening that considers themselves Christian, you know, like, uh, I hope you take this thing deadly serious. Um, Luke uh, chapter 17, uh, 26 through 33, Jesus even says that, you know, the end times are going to be like the days of Sodom. Um, And Jesus uses, uh, I'll, I mean, we'll get into it when we get into that little section somewhat ahead of myself here, but, you know, Jesus uses Lot's wife later on as an example of losing your life by trying to preserve it. Right. And so like for Jesus to, call back to specifically bring this story, this very much hated, very un-PC story and connected to the core pith of the gospel, right? I just don't think he much cares for what you think is socially acceptable. He's trying to save your freaking life, right? And if there's anything in you that's like squirming at how the son of man chooses to operate on your soul, that part of you needs to die. Die daily. Die daily. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I squirm too much for my own good. Hey, man, bring it, bring in pulse checks, man. Trying to see who's alive out here, bro. <laughs> that's that's what we, that's what we do. That's what we do. But uh, I mean, but you know, what do you, what do you see? I've actually got more on that Luke seventeen bit, but we're not there yet. Okay. Now, 
I, I like you brought up the forcibly moving them away. When I see the moment there, when so many people is, well, why doesn't God intervene? Or, or why is God making me move? Well, sometimes <laughs> it's because right. you're staring around like a slack-jawed idiot and you need God to move you away from it. Lot, as God is so patient, God help me. Like, if I were him, I'd have given up. Mm-hmm. Like, I've done literally everything for you. Like, bro, you're not even looking at things clearly. I, I guess I'm just going to leave you here and blow everyone up. Like, <laughs> can you not? This is why I'm not God. Right. And that's a very good thing. Very good thing. But instead of being that God, everyone just wants to be the little butler in the clouds, just kind of shows up when you want him to. God shows up when he wasn't wanted. Right. Through these angels to forcibly take Lot and his family out of this situation. Right. That means the world to me. As someone who has to get dragged around a lot, no, no pun intended there, to get stuff done at times. Right, right. Even while we were his enemies, while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. While Amen. I was yet slacking, he grabbed me by the bicep. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think of... Uh, I think of prophet Ezekiel and it literally says in the text that the Lord grabbed him by the locks of his hair and dragged mm-hmm. him into the temple to see what he needs to see. And I'm like, yo, like I'd, I'd rather you yank me by my pinky toe up out of some crazy situation and let me walk on my own. You know what I'm saying? Like praise God that, you know, he's a shepherd. You know what I'm saying? Like this right yes. here is he makes me lie down in green pastures. Mm. Right. You you can choose to lie down or you could be made to lie down. And Lot was made to lie down. This is not he gave you the option right. of lying down in those still pastures. This is, hey, idiot, take some rest. Get away from all the world. I'm here. I got you. Like, no, oh, this is also oh, in this scenario for Lot. It's, hey, get your butt in gear. We don't have time for this because I need you out of the city so that I can actually get my work done. And I can't do it with you here because that kind of defeats the purpose of the visit. Right, right. Like I, I kind of made a promise to Abraham. So like I I'm, didn't bound, have to make. I'm bound by my word. I'm getting you out yes. of here, you know, and that, that's pretty cool, man. Again, also too, just like the power of prayer. Like, mm. like don't, don't think God is not doggedly determined to answer you with his best. Don't. You know, yeah. don't don't ever lose faith in that because you lose faith in that. You lose that steel spine. You lose that steel spine. You no longer mm. stand tall. And that's just, you know, at least that's yeah. what I've found in my experience in life. I think in regards to all this, when I was doing my research for this and one of the commentaries I was reading online brought up how when the angels are talking to them as they're fleeing, you know, the don't look back, uh, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Like the word for look or to look is tabit or tabit. Mm -hmm. And there's a connotation that comes with that word. And it's in one way you can interpret is that looking with intent. Mm. And obviously we haven't gotten to Lot's wife yet. But that easily could have happened to any of them that looking with intent of like, just looking back, God, why did you take me away from there? I was doing so good. Like we had all this money. We had this property. Yeah, sure. We lived in a city full of vile, you know, rapists and all that. But you know what? We were doing fine. Don't worry about, you know, the foreigners or the poor in the land or anything like that. But we're doing okay. But like, 
why do I do the same thing? When I look back at my life, man, I was just so good there. I was content, but I also wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. I wasn't interacting with people. I wasn't in church. I wasn't talking to good people who were going to get me to where I needed to be. But it's okay in my mind because, well, I was content. I was happy instead of joyful. Yeah, man. Like, why do we get that like that? Why are we so, so stupid? Contentment kills, man. Complacency kills. Proverbs 1. Someone read that. Someone should be taking notes on that. I, I took notes on that. I didn't know that about that word. Y'all listening? You'll need to take notes off this man. All right. <laughs> yeah, say it, Hebrew like, expert, Christian Ashley. All right. Multivitamin for your soul. Best 81 right? ever made. I'm, I'm just saying, man, I take notes on this man. I got a podcast. Like, what can it do for you? That's all I'm saying. That's that, That's all I'm saying, you know? But yeah, man, like, it's just... It's just nuts, like the mercy of God being shown in this way. Um, And again and again, mercy has no context without judgment, Mm -hmm. has no context. It's just well wishes, but it's not really anything. Right. It's just mercy gets reduced to good vibes that we send out. But it's not really mercy if there's not really a law if there's not really a transgression of that moral law then you know what do you what do you receive in mercy for like it's it's a ridiculous notion to try to separate uh to try to separate the two um but yeah nah like hey man 20 versus 23 to 25 like i said this is a this is the high mountain so unless you had something else in here um because i feel Um, like as i feel like you do because you and I, I mean, have been you and you and I have been one in the force this whole freaking session, and it's been pretty fantastic. Oh man, this has been a blast. <laughs> it's kind of this. I don't want it to end, but at the same time, uh, we also have lives outside of this. As much as I joke that I don't. Oh, don't! Oh, don't! It's, don't! Don't! Don't even worry about me, right? Like I usually have Bible study on these nights, but I let them know, hey, I'm recording a podcast. You know, my wife got the kids; she already knows. Like. I cleared out some time for this. Yeah. You know what I mean? All right. Okay. I want to kind of focus on how Lot speaks to the angels versus how Abraham spoke to God in the last chapter. Ooh, ooh, get on it. Like both of them, like both of them say, hey, like, you know, if your servant has found favor in your sight, something to that extent, you've done a great kindness saving my life. And then recognizing all the good God has done to Abraham does. And he fights for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. Then you have Lot for himself going, but you had enough power to get me out of the city. You had enough power to blind all those people. Mm -hmm. You have enough power right now to get me to where I'm at, but you don't have enough power to protect me. When I listen to what you have to say and go to the hills, why can't I go to this city instead? Like if this was like something like, hey, like I know out of the five cities that are around this area, you know, you know, Zoar, it's, it's not the worst. Like uh, we could make a new life there or something like that. Or what, well, let's spare those people, please. Because as we, in, uh, I think it's Deuteronomy 29, we find out that the other two cities are destroyed in this event. But Zoar right. is the only one that makes it out. Right. Like it, it, if he had said something like that, like looking after those people, like we would have seen more parallels between him and his uncle. But it's like, no, I am scared that you you just aren't enough, God. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. get me safely. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, because he, he's been living around the plenty of the people, right? And that's where, you know, covetousness and materialism have a way of just eroding your muscle of being able to hold on to God in faith, right? Like when when you're so used to being able to have all this plenty in your pantry, like remember Ezekiel's indictment on Sodom, right? Prosperous plenty, right? Lot doesn't need to trust God on a, on the daily basis that Abraham had to just living a nomadic lifestyle. So now that a storm has come, right? Jesus's words on the mountain. Now that a storm has come, you don't have the muscle of faith required to hang on to God the way that you need to hang on to God to for this certain trial, right? Because you rejected the training of being a nomad with Abraham. You rejected that. Lot, you didn't want that. And so, okay, you, you wanted the security of the lushness, so you got that. But now the security of the lushness is going away. Now you've got to learn to rely on a new security. You know, it's like um, it's like when I'm in the hospital and I'm looking at patients trying to, you know, quit smoking or quit drugs or whatever. It's like you're having to rely on something different to buoy you. And during that transitional period, you just don't have the experience necessary to do that. Well, and so, like, what we're seeing out of Lot, I imagine, I believe, is the best his faith can muster because of how little it's been exercised over the years. Like, just quite frankly, Lot doesn't have the strength of faith to trust them like that. <laughs> it's just, and we see that come out in the testing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, you, you take a steak patty, you put it on the grill and you press it on with heat liquid comes out is that liquid the sweat of your own worry or the waters of life from jesus within you what what liquid comes out of you when you're under heat and pressure well that's just what's in you and we see what's coming out of lot is like not the strongest faith yeah and it's a great point you brought up of how with all the negativity he's been surrounded by of the city he chose to live in it's easy for that faith to start dwindling a little bit and dwindling a little bit. And like, if anyone out there is like, you were like me before, you know, I got good spiritually when it came to understanding a lot better. And you're wondering, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And you're like, but what about this man? I'm not feeling uplifted by hearing this story. Remember what he has called generations past this. He's called a righteous man Mm -hmm. multiple times over. And we see someone at that weakest and we lose hope when they're supposed to be like our protagonist of the story. But like, hey, that's life. That's going to be us. You know, I'm at a spiritual high right now. That could change tomorrow. It could change a couple of weeks from now Mm -hmm. because maybe I'm not being careful or maybe I'm just like, it wasn't so bad when I was doing those things. I, I can do that again. Like, and Lot has gotten that way. So if you're like, there's no hope here, it's like, there's plenty of hope. And even knowing how this chapter ends, we look at that and see, well, his life doesn't end the way we want him to, but like, remember where he ends up. I mean, I just, I just got to say like that, like that, that stirs something within me, brothers. It's just like, just right now in this moment, it really does stir something within me just to say that this like Lot's story, right, is proof positive that the good news of the gospel is that I am not the protagonist, right? 
And the good news of the gospel is that you, listener, are not the protagonist of the story, right? That whether or not you win or lose was never dependent on, you know, how good a random soundbite in your life post-faith looks like. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, you should like, how is it that Lot can sell his daughters to be gang rape and have the, all this other stuff happening in the chapter? Well, because his salvation was not based upon works done in righteousness. Right. We hold Romans three twenty three, I believe we hold that no man is saved by works. Right. That's what we hold to. But that a man is saved by grace apart from works. That's what we hold to, fam. You know what I mean? So how can the Bible say something as scandalous as Lot was a righteous man? The same way that Jesus at the end of time will be able to say something as scandalous as you are a righteous man or woman. Because it's in me. Mm. Because it's in me, fam. That's how. All right. And that's what we should see in lot with new testament commentary is dang i look at his life and i don't even know if he's saved all right well that should be good news for you because there's some people that look at your life honey and don't know if you're saved right man right so that Amen. should be so that should be good news there are going to be seasons where you go through in life where you look at your life and don't even know if you're saved but god is still holding you by the arm and dragging you out of this nonsense just trust him just trust him man and somebody needs to hear that. I would say all of us do, but like somebody legitimately needs to hear that. Yes. And I hope and pray that well, it waters whoever that was. Speaking of things people need to hear, you good if I go through, or you go through 23 through 29? Uh, 23 through 29? Yeah, I can read that bit. Um, go for it. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord... Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Goodness. But Lot's wow. wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Yeah, <laughs> just, just big wow. You have the big scene. It's been building up. Oh, yeah. Finally happens. This is where the judgment comes. This is when everyone has that big hullabaloo. It's like, oh, this is where God is just, he's just wrathful. He doesn't love people. He just says he does. Only if you agree with everything he does. And it happens. Like, he's a God of his word. Mm -hmm. And Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, other two cities, not as important. Don't make it out of this. <laughs> yeah. The Sodom and Gomorrah tri-state area, gone. <laughs> Not only that, but the the plants don't make it out of this alive. Nope. Nope. The cities don't make it out of this alive. There yep. is like, yeah, there's some archaeological evidence we've kind of done along the way. We may have found where these have been, but... For those of you unaware of your geography, this is around the area known as the Dead Sea in Israel. 
Uh, it is called the Dead Sea because there ain't nothing that lives there. It is salty. It is uh, to the point where you were able to float on top of mm-hmm. it pretty well. It is simultaneously this paradoxical. It's a beautiful area and a very haunting area mm. because kind of like Salt Lake City, the Great Salt Lake here in America. I've never been to either one, but from what I have seen, there shouldn't be things that exist around there. Something geologically happened to make things this way, and then something supernaturally happened right here to make parts of that region this way. Yep. Yep. Man. Yeah. I mean, like, your actions have consequences for more than just you, right? Because that, like, that's, that's just how God made the universe, right? Your loving actions can unfairly ripple down to affect people positively. And I know that that sounds like a weird way to phrase it, but it's just true, right? Like, yeah, all of us benefit in our everyday lives through no merit of our own because of the good deeds of people that came before us or people that are living concurrent to us. In the same way, people can be unfairly affected by your evil choices, right? Because God intends love to be the highest ethic in this universe. And if that's the case, that means that you have to create the universe in such a way that people can feel the unmerited overflow of each other's good deeds. So that way all of life can be a constant meditation on, I don't deserve this, but I get it. And that's amazing. Yeah. Right. But when you make a universe that way, it means that when people sin, it's going to affect more than just them. Creation just didn't affect humanity. It affected the world around us. It affected the laws of nature. Everything, everything is heavy, you know, it's heavy. Like Amari, my son is affected in like entirely by the good or bad choices that I make in my life. Is that fair? No, but no one bats an eye when he's affected positively. But he deserves that just as little, you could say, as he deserves evil overflow. All of life is grace. Right. Like once you get a handle on being able to say that my entire life is built on and out of the generosity of the father and the son, man, anxiety start to melt away, bro. Anxiety start to melt away. And you start to be able to see the fruit of the spirit just grow unencumbered in your heart when you realize it's all from him and back to him. Right here. God delivers on his promise. Said he couldn't find 10 people righteous in that city, in those cities. Once again, yep. two whole cities. In the tri-state area. Not 10 not even 10. Yeah. Not the uh, Doofenshmirtz must have left. <laughs> no. That's a good righteous <laughs> I man thinking about that, but that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> Dang, bro. That man overthrew like, Doofenshmirtz Evil Incorporated. That's crazy. I am a man of culture after all. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, this is a point where people get angry at this story. Not what happened before, not the buildup we've had where this could have been avoided. Maybe, mm-hmm. just maybe, if more had been done or people have been willing to listen to reason. This is the part, especially with who's telling the message. If it's, you know, because they were all gay and they all needed to die, then, well, I hate to tell you, but you've been misreading the story. But even then, God delivers. And thousands upon thousands of people die. 
How is that a just God? Oh, how is that a just God? He Go didn't lie. Unless mm. you think, unless you think a lying God is a just God, he didn't lie, you know? And again, I refer back to my earlier statement of, look, you're either going to agree with God that sin is actually sinful, or you're going to disagree and call God a liar for calling sin sinful. But again, these are the only two options. And judgment is usually the dividing line that like showcases that in people. Like I've had that conversation with people. Well, I just don't really think it's that bad. Well, okay. You're not the creator. So like, okay. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you like, know they're rejected. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's really irrelevant. What now that's not to say that I don't like work with people. Like that's not like the entire yeah. answer I ever gives people, but like, I'm just saying like in truth. So like, like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Criminals don't like cops. Big whoop. Yeah. You know? Um, and as far terrorists, as like, terrorists don't like Patriot missiles. Yeah. Like, like uh, <laughs> I'm saying like that, that's tough. Like, as far as the homosexual part of that goes, it's like, okay, like, so are you telling me that you'd be okay with God doing this if homosexuality wasn't on the list of sins here? Right. Cause if that's like really the issue, then, okay, then you're really disagreeing with God, the homosexuality. Okay. Like, okay. I mean, the boss that hired me at my job died of AIDS like a few, like, like a few weeks, about a month after I was hired on. Gee, I don't think he contracted that disease by living faithfully and fidel and fidelously to the commands of God in scripture. You know, like, I mean, I'm just, just going to keep it a buck. Like we're not making light of the man's life, you know, like, a, like a lot of us Christians there were pleading with him the gospel as he was, you know, on the way out. And I personally think that the reason that he didn't, um, I personally, the reason that he might not have repented at the end was just because of, he couldn't let go of his own shame. Christ was willing to take it. I don't think he was willing to let go of it, you know, which is a whole nother episode. But the fact remains that like, what do you do with the fact that like, there are real consequences to this thing that you don't see in faithfully practiced heterosexual monogamous marriages. Like people hate that you bring that up, but I'm like, that to me really is the Trump card argument when you're like, okay, well, how cause it, how does it really hurt people? AIDS, HIV. Well, aside from that, okay, well, why do I have to say aside from that? I mean, I can give you aside from that as a medical professional, I can give you many asides, but we all know AIDS. Like, yeah. When you go against the creator you hurt yourself. That's just what happens, right? Just like when straight people don't want to, uh, you know, just like when a heterosexual marriage, you know, the man doesn't want to serve his wife as Christ loved the church. You're going to run that marriage straight into the wreck of divorce every time, every time. Well, I don't agree with God that the man should have to serve the wife that. Okay, so that's how he made it. The great King wrote it this way. Have fun running into the lighthouse of God's law, bro. Even if he didn't, isn't that just a good idea anyways? You know, like, again, you know, like the mind that's hostile to the uh, hostile to the spirit just ain't going to submit. You know, it's like, that's why we, that's why we need Christ, you know? Yeah. 
And I had something else I was going to bring up, but I forgot. Good. Keep going. Oh, um, oh yeah. I was, <laughs> since we've hit the part that I keep talking about, um, I was yes, going to yes. make, I was going to make the case that like Jesus was the one that actually called down, uh, the soul, the fire and brimstone just to make an already distasteful story, like more distasteful. I'm going to bring your meek and mild Jesus, like right into the mix. Jesus. <laughs> right. Um, you know what I mean? Um, the interesting wording of verse 24 could indicate two Lords could indicate two Yahweh's. And so, you know, we got to look at more scripture to investigate this weird situation here. Right. So kind of reaching outside the bounds of Genesis chapter 19, um, I'm just going to read my notepad here. Uh, Genesis chapter 18 verses 16 to 21 makes it seem as if the plan was for all three men to go into town together. But the one man that is the Lord hangs back to speak with Abraham. Genesis 18 verse 33 says that after they spoke that the Lord, quote, went his way, unquote, which the earlier section indicates was toward Sodom. That's where all three of them were going. He hung back to talk with Abraham, and then he went on his way. Where was his way? Towards Sodom with the other two. That would place the man that is the Lord, at least in the vicinity of Sodom, if not in it, when sulfur and fire is rained. So, the earthly located Lord, Yahweh, rained fire and sulfur from the Lord, from the Yahweh that is in heaven. Evidence of complex unity in the text, Jesus in the Old Testament, I would say. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Um, let me see here. I literally put a pen in it. Did it stay there? That's the question. It did. Nope. Uh, it did, oh, surprisingly. Uh, Micah 5, verse 2 reads, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, right? So the one prophesied to rule, we all know is Jesus Christ, but it says his coming forth has been from of old, from ancient days, right? His coming forth, he has been coming forth from somewhere to somewhere since ancient days, right? John, the gospel of John chapter one tells us that no man has seen God, semicolon, space, the only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known, and later on in John, in that same gospel, it, it tells us that the father judges no man, but that the father has given all judgment unto the son. Right. Hmm. So when you take all of these concepts backwards into the Old Testament, because Jesus says the entire Old Testament just talks about me. Right. And you see. Right. The Hebrew scriptures giving you this riddle that no man has ever seen God. And yet at certain times, the patriarchs did see God. Well, how does that work? How does that work? Well, because the only God at the father's side, the son, makes him known. That's literally Jesus's job to make the father known. And so that's what he has been doing, right? Walking with Adam in the cool of the day. And here, right? Jesus in the Old Testament, right? Joshua 5 as the commander of the Lord's armies that Joshua runs up on. Are you for us or for our enemies? And that figure says, no. But you stand on holy ground. Take your shoes off. Oh, oh gosh. Who is this? <laughs> Who is this? Has the authority to say that. Has the authority to say that. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
He's the one that Jacob wrestled with, right? Jesus in the Old Testament, right? A pre-incarnate Christ. That would be my arguing here, right? And you're the Hebrew scholar, so you can correct me on this if I'm wrong. But I do believe that since it is all caps in that verse there, that it's literally saying that Yahweh called fire and sulfur down from Yahweh out of heaven. And it's like, that's a really, the all caps. yeah, it's like, that's a, that's a really clumsy way to phrase it. If you just mean God in heaven, sent it from heaven, unless you're trying to say something else. And I do think that's what's happening here. The old Testament warming the Jews, warming the reader up to the idea that God is one. Yes, but it is a complex one. <laughs> and then some, and then some, you know, and Jesus, uh, you know, all these little visitations of God on the earth in a humanoid form uh, find their fulfillment in the ultimate visitation of God in human form, not humanoid, but fully human, you know. So, yeah, that would that would be a, that would be my um, that would be my argument for that being Jesus, which is really cool to me because it means that Jesus has literally been active in human history since Genesis. And that one has saved you. And that to me is like, how do you not fall down and worship at that? Like, that's amazing. But then how do you also then throw at God? Well, what about those who've never heard? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I've been, I'm the first missionary. What are you talking about? I, my going forth to the earth has been from ancient days. And you want to come at me about my foreign policy. Interesting. Interesting. Uh -huh. You know, so, I mean, it's just one of those things just humbles me, you know, where it's like there are certain objections that assume that all that God does is all that you read about. And like, that's just it's just not the case. It's just not the case. But it, again, it, but it does highlight like, no, you're going to stand before Jesus in judgment. Right. Like, I think Jesus was the one that came down and scattered the people and languages of Babel. And I think he was the one that called down fire and sulfur from heaven, which is why I think Luke 17 takes on a new significance. When Jesus is like, you want to know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like it was back in Sodom. And I'm sitting here reading it like you were there. <laughs> like, that's heavy, man. You were there. I don't think that in his time on Earth, he had access to those memories because he's playing the game as a human. But he was there before Abraham was. I am. Always existed. You know, that would that would be a that, that would be my case. I don't know how many people have heard that sort of argumentation before, but that's that, that's how I read uh, this section and really all of Genesis, actually, you know, just always trying to keep my eyes open for where my Messiah might be. I've heard the argument before. I don't know where I stand personally. I don't know that was well argued. I will say <laughs> not to just suck up to you. <laughs> it's, it's your podcast. But, I appreciate the compliment. But if saying that is true, Mm -hmm. It does kind of destroy people's concepts of Jesus. You know, he's just here to like bring peace on the earth and everything. And when the man himself said, I came to bring the sword and division, like that doesn't sound like hippie Jesus. That doesn't sound like, hey guys, let's just have a chat, Jesus. Like 
Well, I mean, if people believe that, if people can read all four gospels and still believe that, you ain't paying attention to the four gospels. You you don't need my meditation in Genesis to break that. You just need to hear Jesus preach. Yeah. (laughs) To be honest. Let the man, let the man God speak for himself. I'm saying. Yeah. What he says is that he is there for mercy. He's also there for wrath and judgment. And this would be an example of that. And once again, if you haven't understood it by now, like if anyone deserved this to happen to them, as we are all deserving of wrath and judgment, I'd put my money here. Mm-hmm. Once again, not because of the that scapegoated sin of homosexuality, which is still a sin, as we've established, but because of everything leading up to this point in time, that just happened to be the breaking point. Right. Right. For all we know, if God had allowed these five cities in his prosperous land to continue on, and he doesn't bring judgment here, well, what happens when the Israelites come up later on out of Egypt and they see this fortified area, which only has the opportunity to grow and maybe even controls all of Canaan, or we could what if anything in this scenario. But what if they're still there and they screwed up as they did with the Canaanites that were around then? You're I not going to tell me things would have been way worse? Like, hey, man, like, let God be God and let every man be a liar, bro. Like, like. The only, all the research you do is on like all the research that skeptics do is just like just like forums thousands of years after the fact. God is God. So he has so he's omnipresent to know everything without having to be there. But he also sent two angels to do recons, set up a sting operation. Right. Because, again, I think the I think the original plan was to. OK, angels, you're going to go in there dressed as two handsome men and let's just see what the city does. All right. If they don't rape you, they live. I think that's a. I think that's a good low bar. I think that's a good. Yeah. I think that's a good low bar. And then it gets even more difficult because now it's not just don't rape two men that are in the town square. Now don't break into somebody's house and do it. And they still do that. And then, if the way I'm reading the text is accurate, Jesus Himself, God, not in human flesh, but in a humanoid temporary vessel goes to the city himself. What research did you do? You know, I have to do research. I don't have to do research. God is bad, man. You know what I mean? Like he's God and he went there. Like, I don't, I, I I trust him. I trust him. You know? Well, what so, about Lot's wife? Oh, man. Like, it's the interesting, like I said, man, just interesting meditation. You know, it's like she turns into salt. It's like, even in, even in her death, she's going to have a preserving effect on those that keep running. You know? Because God ain't going to waste nobody. You know? She don't yeah. make it in, but I'm going to use your tragedy to water the rest of the garden. You know? Yeah. Which is kind of why I think she becomes salt. But I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's sad. Like you said, like you were right there. You're almost out. You're almost out and you turn back. 
you know, but just another example of in the motif of scripture, if you can start and not finish. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of like many are called few are chosen, you know, and it's like, why is that? Well, because just like I said, I don't try to hide anything. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm definitely on more the other side of that slant, mostly because of my last really tight read through the book of Romans. Um, Romans, it's actually funny um, because Romans nine is like the Calvinism chapter. And I'm like, Romans nine is the thing that actually like bunker busted, whatever Calvinism I still had left. Like it was Roman, it was Romans nine. It was exegeting Romans nine that actually, I was like, I don't, I don't think this works, bro. But I'm like, yeah, not like many are called, but few are chosen. Why is that? Because God chooses based on faith. And I know that people are going to say, well, are you saying that you earned your own salvation? No, because in Romans chapter three, Paul defines faith and grace as apart from works. So if you're going to say that I'm saved on faith, you are by definition renouncing good works. So it's a really, I think, disingenuous bait and switch for Calvinist doctrine to then define faith as a work when scripture goes out of its way to say it's not defined that way. So I cannot be saved by my works, but I can be saved by my faith. And that's what God decides upon, right? I'm not deciding based upon who's good enough to ascend to me. I'm deciding based upon who's humble enough to have faith in me. Which is why I believe many are called, because the gospel call is universal. Many are called, but few will be chosen, because wide is the path to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life and life eternal. And Lot's wife demonstrates that. She was called to come out of the city, but, you know, didn't have faith. And you can say, well, Lot didn't have faith. Sure. You only need faith the size of a mustard seed. That's what's good about our God. Mm-hmm. I'm so big, you don't need big faith. Just have make just make sure it's placed right, baby. And for her, she's given exactly what she wanted when she looked back. Yeah. She gets to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Assuming that we'll just say forever for the heck of it. Maybe eventually, you know, erosion happens and she's gone. <laughs> but I mean, it could he could have just killed her on the spot. Mm-hmm. He could have had a stray sulfur blast, had her way, and boom. Yep. No, he chooses this specifically to make her a permanent-esque, maybe permanent fixture of the environment of representing everything of what he's destroying. Oh, I see what you're saying. Pillar of salt. Yeah. Yeah. Because salt does start as a rock. Huh. Yeah. Look at that getting corrected. I always pictured it as just poof into like a like a like a bunch of table salt in a shaker. And like she just collapsed. But yeah, yeah, I guess it pillar. Yeah. Yeah. Solid statue of rock salt. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Even even if that were it and she was just scattered into a bunch of salt. Like she's still there. Oh yeah, no, just man. Not I'm on the form that we would recognize. Yeah, no, man. I'm 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 on rock salt statue now. That's 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 where I'm at. <laughs> See how yeah. much we're both learning, working together. We need to do this yeah. more often. <laughs> yeah, you blew that interpretation out the water. Yeah, no, that's that's what she is now in my mind. I appreciate so like, that. Well, thank you. So beyond her, we get this brief glimpse. You know, you know, our setting has been Lot and his family fleeing. Then we go back to Abraham's perspective for just a little bit, mm-hmm. and he's seeing everything going down. 
like we're not exactly in his head, but like when I'm reading this, like no doubt it's like, you know, is lot okay? What is happening right now? But in the text, like God remembers not because God forgot anthropomorphism, blah, 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 that word again. I hate that word so much. Yep, yep. That of him doing something that we can comprehend as humans, looking at the information he has to Abraham, remembers that conversation they have, has done his job, gone above and beyond the call. Once again, didn't have to save anyone. Mm-hmm. Lot chose to live in that city with his family. God could have just said, well, you've made your peace there. Good luck. Oh, sorry, you're not going to make it out. But he did. He went above and beyond what was called. And Abraham is remembered in the midst of all this, in the midst of this devastation, of this loss, of everything these people have known in the city. Abraham, being God's chosen, is also brought back because he's directly affected by all this, too. I just really mm-hmm. appreciate that. It, it does, the Bible doesn't have to do that. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. You know? I mean, you could argue this is superfluous. But God <laughs> chose to put it in there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because it's what we should see in this, right? Like, just, just the severity of it, you know? And the fact that, yeah. like, the culmination of Abraham's faithfulness means that he, um, to use a, I'm kind of mixing two different Bible stories here to kind of say this illustration, but those that have read Jehu's story uh, should get the reference here. But mm. um, if you, you know, a life of faithfulness, Riding with the king means that when judgment comes, you get to be in Jehu's chariot watching judgment happen rather than being the target of said judgment. Right. And I, and I think that's that's an interesting thing to to note. You know, we were talking about it. Pastor was preaching that sermon at church, actually, that, again, like the judgment of God is comforting if you're his child. It's very comforting. If it's not comforting, yeah. maybe take that as evidence that your adoption isn't really legit. Or that you're not trusting in the one who has adopted you, one of the two. But the wrath of a father towards bad people should be comforting to true children. Yes. And what's, it's not shown, and it wouldn't be. It shouldn't be that Abraham's taking pleasure in this. We don't take pleasure from the fact that thousands upon thousands of people died. But justice has been delivered and we must accept that. Mm-hmm. If God, if we believe God is who he says he is. Yep. It does not make me happy one iota that there weren't 10 righteous people in these cities. All right. It's it a- doesn't make me happy that they suffer as they do. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a sobering thing. It's, 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 it should be a sobering thing anyway. You know, God even says his soul takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's Ezekiel, you know, like, and if we're being conformed into the image of Christ, then, you know, as, as you were saying so well in your previous episode that no one that's being conformed into the image of Christ should take pleasure in the death of the wicked. No one should, which is the caricature that the world paints of Christians. Um, but the world paints a lot Some of Some of it rightfully deserved. Hey man, the world the world paints a lot of caricatures of us, right? If you're uh you know the way I'd say it on my podcast, if you're committed to being a foreign saint, be okay with people misunderstanding you as a foreigner. Yeah. It's gonna happen. 
Do you have anything less for this section before we finish off with the last couple of verses? Oh yeah, no, 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 not for not for this section. You can read the last All right. bit. Then I will do so. Doing thirty through thirty-eight. And, yes, sir. Uh, if this is for you, yeah, if you're especially squeamish, if none of the other stuff really got to you, you may this may be the section because yep, <laughs> I yep. know I don't particularly like reading this. An entanglement of nonetheless. much sin is what we got ourselves. Yes. Here. Verse thirty. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring with our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Uh, just some Hebrew here real quick. Moab kind of sounds like the Hebrew for from father. And Ben-Ami means son of my people. Oh, well, wow. Well, wow. I didn't know that. <clears throat> That's interesting. Yeah. I love their naming conventions. But I'm going to have to... I'll mention it. Um, I'll mention it here uh, just for both of our sakes. Um, something that I didn't think needed to be mentioned when I first became a Christian that I thought was just obvious with a book this big of this nature is that though something is recorded in the Bible, it is not inherently recommended. <clears throat> I kind of thought that that yes. would be a lesson that people didn't need to be taught. But, you know, I, too, exist on the Internet. So I will say yes. the obvious just because it's written here does not mean it is endorsed. Um, and I do note the irony that Lot ends up doing what he suggested to the men of Sodom that they do. Um, yes. That irony is not lost on me. But something I think to note here is that hopelessness leads people into pretty devastating sin. You know, it's like before mm -hmm. you get on your high horse and start, oh, well, I would never do that. Um Hopelessness makes you do things that you wouldn't believe yourself capable of doing. And just yes. from what I read in the text, it seems like this was birthed out of hopelessness. Um, I mean, you got to understand they did. They both of these daughters did lose their betrothed in the judgment of God not too long ago. Um, so, I mean, like there's there's a lot of grief here. And depending on where they sit with God, there's a lot of anger and resentment, too. Um, so I mean, yeah, there's just a big ball of everything. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff entangled here. Um, and maybe it's the fact that I'm coming off an episode on abortion. So just the fact that this is like an incest situation just strikes a chord with the usual argumentation there of like, oh, well, you know, if it's a baby out of rape or incest, then you can murder it. And what comes to my mind is the revelation. That tells us that every tribe, nation, people, language will have a saved representative in heaven worshiping before the throne, which includes these two family lines made out of incest, which tells me that God prefers to redeem over abort, 
right? Where, where modern culture just sees something to erase and wipe the slate clean and start over. God says, no, actually, I'm powerful enough to redeem that. And though you were conceived in sin, you are not sin. You have my image upon you. And the sin that you were conceived in does not mar that image or make it any less able to be redeemed than the next man to your left or right. So come to me, says Christ, because I got bread and wine for one more always. And that to me is like just a really beautiful meditation here that he's he steps into your hopelessness even after you sinned in that hopelessness to give you life if if you'll have faith in it and the hopelessness exists in all three of them what did lot ask specifically not to do before this happened uh, he didn't want to live in the hills he wanted to live in zoar this is true. Which, there's a rationality there. Like, oh, living amongst people, that's a lot safer, even forgetting the fact that five, four cities just got wiped out by God. Mm-hmm. Like, he couldn't possibly do it again. It's like, no. It, the what if scenario kind of hits me. What if he just did what he was supposed to do the first time? Would this have happened? Mm-hmm. I would think probably not. But then again, he gives into the hopelessness and as a result takes them away from civilization and for all they know whatever was causing that devastation went all the way to zoar too and it's going to spread to the entire earth and we're all that's left because we're in this cave which uh, by the way that area is kind of filled with caves people would use them for uh homes and shelter and stuff like that and a place to stash goods so it's not unnatural that they would choose to do that yeah and in their grief and pain that they kind of just assume that they're the only ones left. It's kind of a thing in the Bible now that I think about it. People assuming that they're the only ones left when there's like, you're definitely not. But grief and yeah. depression, just they, grief and depression make you more isolated than COVID lockdowns ever did. Mm. It's that irrationality that, that comes from a place of pain, that comes from a place of unbelief and fearfulness that brings them to this point of we're all that's left. So naturally, the only thing we should do is exactly what we do in this chapter. Instead of, hey, let's wait this out. God protected us before. Surely God will do it again. Mm-hmm. But once again, depending on where they are with him, and we're never explicitly told where they stand, um, I can't say, and I have to learn to be better about myself, as <laughs> I have learned with Lot along the way, where I think they are. But that hopelessness brings them to this point of one of one of the worst sins I can think of. Yeah. When it's done either way. And after they have experienced a lot of really bad sins living around the people of Sodom. So brings them to this point of this is the only possible thing we can do. And they don't know anything about genetics. They don't know anything about not I mean, the law hasn't been given yet. As far as we know, like there's been nothing, uh, there's been no commandments from God that have been put on, you know, tablets or anything at this point in time in history. So maybe they don't even think this is wrong outside of your human instinct should go, mm, probably shouldn't do that. I mean, so I'm, I'm in- trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. The incest part. Yeah. But I think the thing that you can really nail them on is um, like you drugged your father. Yes. For whatever purpose you're doing that for, 
If that's your first step, you should probably rethink your plan. That's an excellent point. You know, a, a really great point. Because <laughs> like, if you have to engage and we have to make them so we can't think straight in order to enact our plan, it's probably not a good plan. Yeah. I mean, this is you like you like Lot really got roofied, which I think is funny because people like blame Lot for this. And I'm like, he's the victim. It explicitly mentions both times he had no ability to do anything. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he should have been, you know, he should have held his alcohol better, you know? But, I mean, you know, like, like I said, hopelessness, you know? And it's like the fruit of not trusting God um, for X amount of years. Uh, yeah. And you're you're in the floodwaters of a difficult time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting to see a healthy, uh, you know, a healthy show of faith from anybody in this situation. Um, he said, I, I try not to say like saved or unsaved. I'll just say what I'm seeing is healthy or what I'm seeing is unhealthy. Might be saved, good way of looking at it. but it's unhealthy. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, I'm not making a judgment call on where dude's at. I'm just saying this family dynamic is what we would call toxic. I think we can all agree on that. Yes. You know, but what happens as a result of it? If you believe this is literal, which Mm -hmm. I do, we have two of the biggest enemies the Israelites will have to face in their history. Mm -hmm. That never would have come to a being if this hadn't happened. But at that same time, we also don't get David. If this doesn't happen. Who mm-hmm. is part of God's plan to help redeem the world through his descendant, Jesus Christ, who does not exist if Moab doesn't exist yep. and Ruth doesn't exist. Yep. He chooses to bring the Messiah out of this mess. In part I mean, out of this if that, mess. If that's not a clear sign that God doesn't care about the plans we make because he already knows what's going to happen. And he's going to use it to his advantage. I don't know what else is. Mm -hmm. But if you bring your mess to the master, he can make a masterpiece out of it, man. You know what I mean? That's that's what it is. That's why I say, like, that's why we hold to men are not saved by works of the flesh. Men are not saved by works done in righteousness. They're They're saved by repentance and faith in the one who is able to change a soul. You know, like that's that right there is what we're about. What 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 you ought to say is, God, instead of setting me aside, instead of uh, instead of making me a vessel of wrath to have wrath poured upon me. Right. Work your judgment within me now. So that way I can be saved from judgment to come. Right. I think all of us, no matter where we're at in our walk of faith, will receive dividends from God for praying a prayer like that, right? Mm. Lord, let the judgment of the cross have its way in me now. Learn from Lot. And all of this, honestly, right? Because, yeah, Yeah. you wouldn't exactly call this the ending that you want, but you should praise God for it because they're saved. I'm not even talking in a spiritual sense. I'm just saying they didn't, go down, with, they didn't go down with the ship. Right? 
So even if your salvation story started off as rocky or rockier than lots, hang on to the fact that you have been redeemed, that God did grab you by the arm and pull you out of where you're at now, right? Hang on to that. Well, where I'm at now doesn't look like what I think a Christian should look like. Not the question. Think back to when you first met God. Did God pull you out of something? And are you trusting him? If the answer to both of those questions is yes, then let us start from where we are at today and move forward in faith day by day, committed to the spiritual and social vision of Jesus Christ and watch what he can do with you as the raw material of the potter on his wheel. And if you're out there and you're taking the opposite kind of mindset, it's like, hey, I grew up in a stable family or, you know, I was already in the church and I came to faith when I was five or six, seven or whenever. It's like, well, those are the real stories. Those are the actual ones that Jesus did a lot of mighty work in. Respectfully, I say to you and I say to me, shut up. Mm -hmm. That ain't true. God did a mighty work just because you're idolizing those stories and glorifying them more than what he's done to you doesn't make it true. Right. He did a mighty work to bring me to faith. It is a good thing that I grew up with two loving parents who brought me to church, wanted me, encouraged me to bring me to God together. I was in a really great church that wanted me to pursue God, wanted me to be baptized and get stuff done. That's good. But there's still a lot I bring to the table when it comes to my conversion story. There's still a lot that wasn't okay in that life. Like, you know, because I still live with people who were sinful as much as they wanted to serve God. I was still a sinful person who hurt my, uh, I almost said children, my siblings <laughs> and my family and everyone else around me. There's still a conversion story to happen because it doesn't stop when you say yes. Right. It stops when you're dead and you have no legacy left behind. Oh, wait, right. no, it doesn't stop because you always leave a legacy. Right. I mean, like, like if you were saved, like if you were legitimately came to true saving faith because of, you know, solid family of faith around you, you praise God for that. And you make that a part of your testimony unashamedly, right? Like we live in a culture of death that idolizes the broken, the gritty, the dark, right? Needlessly, needlessly, right? The opening of Romans 9 tells us, Paul says, no, the Jews have legitimate advantages. The oracles of God, the patriarchs, the promises, etc., etc. How much more true of you if you came up in a Christian household? You have advantages over a cat like me that, you know, didn't have those things mentioned explicitly in the household all the time, right? Like, again, I have a backstory that's more gritty, more dark, something like that. And I have told people all the time, and what, you think I'm proud of that? You think I, you think I want to wave around the things of which I am now ashamed? No. Praise God for the fact that you get to have the Christ without having to go through all the mire and briar patches of sin to get there. That, that's not a lesser thing. That's not a lesser thing. And you get to equally claim Ephesians 1, that Christ, in Christ, I am seated in the heavenly places, right? You're not seated in a lesser heavenly place just because you didn't go through something. That is a lie of Satan to get you to not be proud of your testimony. The revelation tells us is one of the components by which you overcome the enemy. 
by the word, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Right. If Satan can't get you to not have confidence in the blood, he'll get you to have little confidence in your testimony. Don't let him have that because that's 50 percent of your arsenal gone. Hmm. Another thing, too, don't assume what someone else's testimony is. Facts. Ask. Ask. And hey, and maybe they're not ready to share everything yet. You, they don't have to. They, wait for them to be ready. Let them tell you what they can tell you. And not to say, well, I know you grew up here, therefore your life was spotless and you just said yes because you were in church. You don't know that. You don't know what was happening behind closed doors. Right. Maybe it did, but I'm waiting for your proof. <laughs> you're making these claims so do you have anything else you want to say on 19 or these uh, verses or anything else oh man um i mean we we really mind it funny thing is i think both of us technically probably have more that we could have mentioned but i mean that's just how the this is how the word of god goes man um <laughs> the thing that really i mean the thing that really like hits me is just like just gratitude and like a feeling of honor um you know, just from Christ to me, just for like, he saved me. He got me up out of nonsense. And thank you for like enshrining stories like Lot in the canon to let us know, not so that we can engage in sloppy grace, but so that we can have comfort in the fact that even when we don't think our sanctification is going in the direction that we arbitrarily believe it ought to be going in, that our salvation is based, you might say, extranos outside of ourselves. And that is an amazing thing. That even when my walk looks like Lot, right? My cry before the throne is still the same thing. He paid it all for me. He paid it all for me. And secondarily like to you uh to you christian just uh you know thank you for having me on you know what i mean because again like you know i like i said i see my life is built out of the generosity of the father and the son i don't deserve to have a podcast i don't deserve to be anyone's guest let alone the inaugural guest of a podcast you know what i mean so i mean this this whole thing is just uh you know it's just it's just grace to me and i i am uh I'm highly moved um you know just by uh just by what the grace of God can do um, in a man, just to, just to bring me to a point where I'm useful uh, for the kingdom in whatever way that the king uh, deems fit to use me. And I just, I just appreciate the blessing of being able to work with members of the body for the sake of the kingdom. And it's a pleasure that I get to do that with you when I can. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to do this with you. It just happened to be one of those things where I was thinking, you know, I haven't had anyone on my show. Is it because <laughs> I don't want them there or because I don't think about it? It's like, when would I do that? When would I have someone there? And it's just lined up perfectly with what you covered not too long ago on Foreign Saints with, I mean, this exact story. Um, and then covering like the totality of it from the blessings given to Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities there and how they squandered it and all the evil that they did uh, against the name of God after he, uh, once again, put immense blessings upon them. So he finally had enough and got rid of them. Like, it was just natural that you would be the first person here for this. So I'm very grateful for what you've had to say. 
I'm very grateful that we spent over two hours <laughs> talking and just hey, just geeking out over this stuff. Um, and this stuff, by this stuff, I mean scripture. <laughs> oh, yeah. We don't get to do this often enough, man. Yeah. We don't get to do this often enough. That's one of the unfortunate parts about growing up is that you move away from other people and don't really have what you wanted before. Like as much as I would have liked to still have the vine, which was the church we mentioned earlier. It's like, there's some stuff that needed to happen to break that up Mm -hmm. and bring us to where we are today. It wasn't fun. I I I still don't like it, but I understand a little more than I did before. Yeah. Yeah. Hey man, I, I get it, man. I get it. And, um, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have you on the foreign saints podcast to, uh, uh, All talk, right. talk about, talk about something topical. Um, skeletons okay. out of the closets is the theme for most of the topicals this year. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is why, you know, I kind of had the episode on, you know, what I had is miscarriage abortion. Um, you know, what should our stance be on that? Let the abolitionists rise. As I said, um, you know what I mean? So it's a, uh, it's, it's yeah. going to be, it's going to be a fun year. Um, I don't know if I'm going to make an episode on it, but I do plan to be at Charlotte gay pride uh, this year with a sign, you know, whole street preacher get up uh, this time around for the first time ever. So prayers for that prayers for okay. something fruitful to come out of that. Um, <clears throat> and Hey, if you, uh, if you thought that I had something good to say, um, I've got a whole podcast, uh, the foreign saints podcast. Like I said, committed to the spiritual and social vision of Jesus Christ, a pulse check for those of us that die daily. And where can they find that? Oh man, you can find me on Spotify and also on Apple podcast. Um, the two are, the two are connected, uh, very much love for someone to leave a review, uh, on you know one or both of those sides would be pretty good. And if you like the content, share it with uh, you know, share it with those you think would be blessed. All right. With all that in mind, guys, thank you for sticking through this whole thing. Like this could have been a conversation we didn't have to record, but I'm so glad we did because we could have done the same thing without an audience. But it's so much yes. greater to have one too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we were gonna say. Oh, no, this is me laughing. I'm laughing in agreement, brother. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, guys, thank you again for everything that you do, for you know sharing the show. Please give a chance to leave a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. Just help us out with the ratings. Find more people. Reach them. You know, guests are a great way to do that. But, you know, sometimes I need your help as well. I really appreciate people who already have. If you're interested in my own fiction writing, you can find my works at starvingwriterskill.com or on Amazon by searching the name MC Ashley. If you're interested in some further solid studies into the Bible and its teachings, then check out the other members of the Anazal Ministries Podcasting Network. You can contact Contact me at Let Nothing Move You Podcast at gmail.com. I'd like to spend a special thank you to Joshua Knoll for the editing that he does and for putting up for the fact we're doing over two hours and the music he adds to the podcast. And with all that in mind, God bless you all in accordance to his will and not mine. And allow me one more time to remind you let nothing move you.
Hey guys, are you interested in podcasting but don't know where to go? Well, check out Zencaster.com and go ahead and make an account there and use special promo code Let Nothing Move You, all caps. That way you can get 30% off of your next deal to go ahead and set things up so you can figure out how to edit stuff using Zencaster.com to host your stuff to get things done there. So check out Zencaster.com, use special promo code Let Nothing Move You. All right, see ya.